Well, this morning we're going to go on that second message that I already alluded to last week, and that is to how to have a simpler life. I guess maybe all of us would probably like to have a little less complicated life, right? A little less complexities in our lives. Um, you know, life can get pretty complex at times, and, and I, I found this verse that I thought was really interesting. It's in Ecclesiastes verse 7, or chapter 7, verse 9. And here's what Solomon said, who obviously could testify to a very complicated life. He said this, This only have I found, God made mankind upright, but men have gone in search of many schemes. What's he saying here? As I looked up this concept of what it means to be upright, what he was saying here is that God created us to be on the level, to, uh, to kind of walk straight, balanced, and some have even translated it simple. So God has created us to live a relatively simple, balanced, level life. I'll never forget a pastor friend of mine who told me in the early days of my ministry, he said, Tom, no matter what, always pray for beauty and balance in your life. And so much of our lives are out of balance. And so when you see the second part of that verse, it says, this only have I found, God made mankind upright, but men have gone in search of many schemes. Some have translated that as that man has created a lot of clutter. In other words, God made life relatively simple for us and wants us to be balanced and kind of walk in that upright level way. But we've kind of messed it up. We make life messy. We, we make it complicated. We cause a lot of stress in our lives. And so therefore, I want to talk to you this morning about how we can create a more simpler lifestyle. I'm going to give you some quotes, a recent book that I reread again. It's one of the classics, I think. It's Richard Foster's book called Celebrations of Discipline. One of his chapters, he talks about simplicity, and he writes these five principles that I think are very profound when it comes to real simplicity in our lives. He says this in principle number one, simplicity is freedom, duplicity is bondage. Simplicity brings joy and balance duplicity brings anxiety and fear. See, when we have a lot of plates spinning and we have a lot going on in our lives, it's easy for us to make life very complicated. And when it becomes duplicitous, it becomes stressful and anxious and fearful and, and, uh, and even hypocritical. Principle number two, here's what he says. Simplic the Christian discipline of simplicity is an inward reality that results in an outward lifestyle. In other words, what he's saying is simplicity has to start on the inside. And so therefore, principle number three, he says, we have a tendency to focus on our outward lifestyle before we focus on our inward reality. So what he's saying here is that simplicity starts on the inside. We have a tendency to try to do all the external things to create boundaries, if you will, and try to simplify our lives. But until we understand and simplify ourselves on the inside, we're never going to reach that point of simplicity on the outside. So principle number four, he says, if we only focus on our outward lifestyle without inward reality, it leads to deadly legalism. That's a scary thought. In other words, what we're saying is, is that if I am so busy trying to fix all the things on the outside, I get so caught up in all the do's and don'ts of, of life that I become a legalist rather than somebody who is being inwardly motivated out of a Christ-like life. Okay, number five, principle number five, he says, contemporary culture lacks both the inward reality and the outward lifestyle of simplicity. 
let's face it, we live in probably one of the most complicated, fast-paced, busy societies in the world today. We're the busiest people on the planet. We have the least amount of sleep of any gen- every country in the world. We work more hours than any other country in the world. We have created a very complicated lifestyle, and culture demands that because it's so narcissistic and, and materialistic. In fact, there's a philosophy out there that says, get all you can while you can and sit on the can. I mean, that's the story of our lives. And we're, we're constantly being bombarded to do this in our life to create life much more and more complicated. So culture tells us to be narcissistic and materialistic, and God's saying, wait a minute, I created you to be simpler than that. So what are those inward realities that we need to face? What are those things on the inside that we've got to deal with? Here's the first thing that I want to, read, uh, to speak to you about this morning, and that is this. I must cultivate a keen sense of self-awareness. Self-awareness is one of the most difficult things for many of, of us to face. We don't want to look at ourselves in the mirror and try to define who we are and how God has wired us. But it's critical to know ourselves because even, I think C.S. Lewis said that we, to know ourselves is to know God. I mean, we've got to figure out who we are and how God has put us together so that we can be an authentic self, a person that God has created us to be. Unfortunately, there's a lot out there that Satan does to us that keeps us from being our authentic selves and what God wants us to be by three major temptations. And we look at those temptations in Luke chapter 4 where Jesus goes out into the wilderness, into the desert, if you remember. And before he went into his earthly ministry, he had 40, year, 40 days of complete and total fasting where then he went out into the desert and was tempted by the devil on three basic levels of temptation. The three things that probably we deal with most to motivate us to make life complicated. What are they? Number one is this. When Satan told Jesus, turn this bread into stones. What he was really saying is, you are what you do, Jesus. If you can do that, then you can prove who you are. So it's all about performance. And so we create this model in some of our lives today that says, I am what I do. In fact, you ask the average person on the street, what do you do, right? And we always talk about what our vocation is. Well, I'm a housewife, I'm a mother, or I, I, I'm, a, uh, I'm a pastor, I'm a teacher, whatever. So we, we have a tendency to identify our lives as to what we do. And we become performance-driven. I was talking to a man just this last week. And he was telling me that all through his growing up, his father never once complimented him or said he was proud of him. And so consequently, he set out on a journey to prove to the entire world that he was capable of being a very accomplished person. And so he worked very, very, very hard to become very successful. And so he was performance driven and he started to define himself as to what he did. Is there anybody like that in the room today? that tries to define yourself by your performance? You see, when we're performance-driven, we have the wrong kind of motivation in order to accomplish what God has for us in our lives. If that's our motivation, just to prove, we need to realize that we're loved and we don't have to perform because God loves us just the way we are. Secondly, Jesus was tempted there by doing this. He said, he takes him up to the mountaintop and he shows Jesus all of this and he says, I will give you all the splendor of the world. So he was tempting Jesus to define himself by what he had in terms of possession. It was all about his power. It was all about his possessions. 
You can have all of this, Jesus. I, I can give you all of this. And so we oftentimes find ourselves in our lives defining ourselves by what we have. And so it's all about our possessions. I know I live in a, in a fairly affluent neighborhood, not because I'm affluent, it's just because I'm a squatter in my son-in-law's house. Uh, but there's a lot of very wealthy people in our neighborhood, and it's very fascinating to see how they define themselves by their possessions. And I keep thinking in the back of my mind, somehow, someway, I'd love to break through that, but it's harder for a rich man to get into the kingdom of heaven than a, it is for a camel to go through an eye of a needle, as Scripture says. But they've defined themselves by what they have. Here's the third temptation that Jesus faced. He takes him up to the top of this pinnacle in Jerusalem, and he says, throw yourself down and let the angels secure your fall. In other words, what he's saying is, how popular are you in a way? If you really got a bunch of people that are really going to have your back on this one, Jesus? And so we kind of define ourselves in this regard as that I am what other people think of me. It's all about popularity. It's all about people-pleasing. If I have lots of relationships and lots of friends and I'm really liked by everybody, that's what really motivates me. And those three temptations, those basic motivations, oftentimes are the things that drive us to make life a whole lot more cluttered. And so the key is really discovering those motivations for what we do and how we think. And one of the best ways is to emulate what Paul the Apostle writes in 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 12, where he says, Our conscience testifies that we have conducted ourselves in the world, and especially our relationship with you, in the holiness and sincerity that are from God. In other words, what Paul said, I wasn't afraid to look inward. And he says, I've cross-examined my conscience. I've seeked the Lord on these issues about what my motivation is all about. And as I listen to what God has to say, I can honestly say to you that I'm dealing with you with a sincerity of heart. There's no false motivation. There's, there's, this is what, what I am. What you see is what you get. So this means really getting in touch with what your emotional baggage is. What are you carrying around with yourself? I know I grew up as a middle child, so I was, the, I was the compromiser. I was the middle guy. And I never really felt like I was understood. And so it was really important for me to, to have people understand me and to have people to, to, to really like me. And a lot of pastors have those kinds of syndromes in their lives because they're pastor shepherds and they want people to like them. I also discovered along my life journey that one of my wirings is that I, I feel responsible. As I went through Strength Finders, I realized that I feel responsible for everything. And so now I'm responsible for 600 pastors. And so I live sometimes with this load of guilt, feeling like I have to be responsible. I felt like I was responsible for the, I was a single person responsible for the growth and development and health of my church back in Phoenix for 24 years. And that was kind of motivating me, and I needed to realize that, yeah, that was a part of my wiring, but it was out of control in my life, and it was causing me false guilt, and it was giving me a lot of anxiety and stress, and it resulted really in, in, in a heart problem back when I was 58 years old. So we need to discover what our emotional baggage that we're bringing into life and what's motivating me to create all this clutter and complication. And, and there is a certain point where we have to be able to say, this has got to stop. This has got to change. This, has gotta, this is not, not healthy for me. And we need to come to grips with that. And so I want you to see this little kind of funny video, if you will, for a minute to kind of get a flavor where I'm going with this. There's something very profound that's being said here, even though it's pretty funny. So give a watch here for a moment. 
Oh, I couldn't resist. Um, I've had many counseling sessions where I wished I could say those words. But there's some real profound truth to that. For, for some of you who are in this cluttered, complex, busy life, maybe that's what God's trying to say to you today. Just stop it. Stop. How many times would you like to be able to say that to some folks that just seem like they're so driven, they're so complicated, there's life going on, there's so many complexities, and you just like to say, stop. Well, there's some great tools out there to help you discern who you are. Self-awareness is really critical, and some of those tools are really helpful. I know I've used strength finders for myself, uh, styles of influence. There's Taylor Johnson, there's Myers-Briggs. There's all kinds of temperament tests to kind of help you define a little bit better and clearly more how God has wired you and to know where those strengths and weaknesses can come to create a more complicated life. But let me give you some other ideas besides that that I think are really helpful. And that's number one is be a better listener to God. See, the problem is, is that we're so busy and life is so complicated, we're not good listeners. God speaks in that still small voice. And if, if Satan can keep us so distracted and keep life so complicated that we don't take time to just listen to what God has to say in our lives, we're never going to really figure out how to live this upright life that he created us for. But secondly, we need to be approachable and teachable to, to trusted people who can speak into our lives. There are people that you know that are watching you and discerning what's going on in your life, and they see all the complexities and all the complications that you've created in your life, all those circumstances, and they need to be able to come in and speak into your life, and you need to be approachable and teachable to that. And thirdly, it, it takes a transparency, a willingness to take a risk and to take off your mask at times. I know that I get phone calls periodically from elder boards. Some of you know that I do a lot of coaching and consulting. That's my job with pastors and boards and churches. And I'll get a phone call from an elder, and they'll say, you know, hey, Tom, would you help us? And I said, yeah, what's going on? And said, well, we love our pastor, but, you know, over the last five or six years, the church has plateaued, and it's kind of going into a decline, and we think it's time for a pastor to leave, but we love him a lot, and we, you know, would you talk to him for us? And that's a red flag for me right away. And I used to take the bait because I, what, feel so responsible. But I realized that if I don't draw a boundary there, and so I go back to the other and I said, have you talked to your pastor lately? No. I said, well, until you have an honest dialogue with your pastor in love, I'm not going to come. And if you want me to come, I'd be glad to sit down with all three of you, and we can sit down and have an honest dialogue. But if you can't have that, then you've got a problem. So pastors don't like to be vulnerable, and we don't like to be vulnerable with each other. And so it's important that we have a transparency about ourselves that we can say, you know what, help me. I'm struggling with this. Here's the last thing. Pray for courage, because it's a lot of courage. it takes a lot of courage and conviction to make those changes in our lives to really create a deeper level of simplicity and to discover who, which of those, those emotional baggage things that we're carrying in our lives, that we're bringing into life day in and day out, that are causing all this clutter that's going on in our life. So number one, again, is to have a better self-awareness of how God has wired us and who we are and what is our emotional baggage, what's motivating, what's driving us to create all of this in our life. Here's the second thought. Learn to be content. Contentment's a, kind of an elusive thing. Paul writes about it in Philippians where he says, I have learned to be content in whatever circumstances I am in. 
Now, if you read further there, the reason why he learned that is because he learned to go without and he learned to have a lot. He had difficult circumstances and he also had great circumstances. And see, what, what we're saying here is, is that in order to find this beauty and balance in our life, this simplicity, God has orchestrated life in order for us to be, find this kind of what I would call this divine center. And that divine center is that area of contentment where, where we find this middle ground where we've experienced both ends of the spectrum. I remember when we were first married, we furnished our house with Salvation Army and everybody's junk. And we ate macaroni and cheese. That was pretty much what we did. And those were great days. That was kind of the time of, you know, a little bit more scarcity. And as God blessed us and moved on, we could see life in a different perspective where we were more, if you, if you will, a little bit more affluent and we were able to afford a little bit more. And so knowing both those sides, I remember a day when we had nothing in our cupboard and we helped out a, a family in our church. We literally had nothing in our cupboard. I remember my daughter asking my wife, she said, Mom, what are we going to eat? And, and I remember Lynn saying, you know what, honey? God will take care of us. We'll, we'll just see what God's going to do. Well, it wasn't a matter of a couple hours and somebody knocked on our door and had 50 pounds of steak to give us. I mean, it's those kinds of things where you, you see both sides of the spectrum, and Paul knew that. It's so important for our kids and for, for us to know both sides of it. And that's why circumstances can be really rotten at times, and they can be really great, but we learn contentment through that. That's what God's trying to teach us. That's what kind of character he's trying to build into us. And so contentment is a key component. And the way we do that, it's a learned process. Paul says, I learned to be content. Are you learning to be content in your life? Or is it always about something else, about more? You know, there's a great quote I picked up this week, and it's about contentment. It says, we will miss contentment if keeping rather than releasing becomes our objective. We too often love things and use people when we should be using things and loving people. We are most content when we are grateful for what we own, satisfied with what we make, and generous to those in need. We're going to talk about generosity next week. So contentment is finding that divine center and learning in life that I can go with a lot or I can go with a little, but having both sides of that is really critical to find that divine center, and Paul learned that, and we need to learn the same thing. There's a third component, I think, to inner reality, and that is we need to have a thankful heart. Being thankful is really critical. Paul writes about it again in Philippians where he says, don't be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and petition with what? Thanksgiving. Present your request to God. How thankful are you? It's so easy sometimes to whine and complain, but is it, it's sometimes harder to be thankful. Being thankful creates a lot more simplicity in our life. Being thankful for what we have and being intentional about our thanksgiving helps us find that greater level of simplicity. Thankful for how God's wired me. Thankful for what I do have. Thankful for my family. Whatever that might be, thankfulness is a key component to simplicity on the inside. So this is sort of the beginning of simplicity. There's a lot more we could talk about dealing with inner reality. But I think we need to move on to now outward lifestyle. But the problem is for many of us, we focus on the outward lifestyle like we said earlier, and that we can almost become a little more legalistic about things in life rather than figuring out what's going on on the inside, what's motivating me that's out of control, that's causing these complexities. I try to fix it externally because it's easier to fix externally things, right, than it is to fix ourselves. But here are some outward lifestyle things that I want to give you some 
some thoughts about, and these are some of what I would consider the outward expressions of a simpler life on the inside. Number one is this. We buy things for their usefulness rather than their status. We buy things for their usefulness rather than their status. That's really careful. I, I, I have a friend uh, who uh, really likes wonderful automobiles, and he read this particular chapter in his book about simplicity, and he always bought his cars to prove that he had really been a successful person, so he always bought a Mercedes. And so he knew that if he could pull up into a hotel or whatever, that he would get greater treatment because this man was successful because he drove a Mercedes. Wrong motivation. Do we buy things for their usefulness or for their status? doesn't mean it's wrong to own a Mercedes, but what was wrong about him is he was using it as a status symbol in his life. Secondly, reject anything that is producing an addiction in you. Reject anything that's producing addiction, whatever that might be. It might be clothes, it might be food, it might be perfectionism, it might be uh, automobiles, it might be alcohol, it might be whatever it is. Whatever is producing an addiction in your life, it's obviously something that's controlling you rather than you controlling it. And we need to cut it off at the knees. Reject anything that is producing an addiction in you. And again, I hear the Lord saying, if it's an addiction, stop it. Here's third. Develop a habit of giving things away. Develop a habit of giving things away. I don't know about you, but, I, you know, it's really interesting. I, I just have a good friend whose mom passed away. And they were living in the same house for almost 50 years. And she was a little bit of a hoarder. And they had to go out and they spent days sorting through stuff. Have you ever seen a hearse pulling a U-Haul? I haven't. I mean, how much stuff do we really need? One of the things that's been good for us is every time we move, we liquidate. Anything we can just get rid of. How much stuff, you know, if we say, well, I want to keep this, you know? And, and you know, and then would you think, are my kids really going to want that stuff? You know, I, I remember when, 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 uh, when my parents passed away, there was very few things that I really wanted anyways. You know, we got all this stuff that we've accumulated in a mess, and we think our kids are going to take it and cherish it and, you know, make these... Not necessarily. So we need to learn the habit of giving things away. What have you got in your garage, in your basement, in your attic that's been sitting there for years? You even forgot to even had it, that somebody else could be far more useful with it, but you got it. So develop a habit of giving things away. Fourth, learn to enjoy things without having to own them. Isn't that a great idea? You know, you don't have to have a 40-foot RV. You could rent one for a week. Why be strapped to a payment? You know what I'm saying? I mean, there's little things like that. I remember somebody saying the, the best horse to own is your neighbor's. You know what I mean? And, and so there's a lot of things in life that we could probably get along without not having to own it, but we could have maybe times of using it. I mean, how many of you have got toys in the garage that almost presents guilt because there's collecting dust and you bought it at one time and you think, yeah, I'm going to really have fun with this. And then the newness wears off and then it just sits there and, it, you know, end up saying... So learn to enjoy things without having to own them. Here's the fifth thing. Uh, these are convicting, aren't they? Develop a deeper appreciation for creation. Uh, you know, we have a, the cutest little dog on the face of the earth. Her name is Sophie. She's a little black golden doodle. And what's really fun is to take her for a walk. It's frustrating for me because I want to walk. 
But, but Sophie, when she comes out of the house, she's not typically where she runs away and, and just wants to prance and, and go, go for it. She walks to the, out, the end of our driveway and she sits and she looks. She looks down the street. She sniffs the air. She's looking around. I want to go for a walk. I have to drag her. But nope, nope. She says, Dad, wait a minute. I, I got to check it out. And then we walk along and she's sniffing everything, every bush, every piece of grass. And it's a reminder to me that we need to stop and smell the roses sometimes, don't we? I know what's been fun for us lately. The, the sunsets here in Prescott are amazing. And so we always walk at the courthouse square every night with our dog. And so we come home a little bit early before sunset so that we can walk our neighborhood and just watch the clouds and the sunsets. It's so wonderful to just appreciate again God's masterpiece. I mean, how many of us really take the time just to even enjoy the creation that God has given us? I mean, we live in such a beautiful area. Okay, I'll stop there. Number six, refuse to get trapped into the buy now, pay later. You know what I'm talking about. We have instant gratification in our culture. We've got to have it now. And so we put out the bucks, a down payment, and then we're stuck and we've got a payment and we're a slave to the lender. Refuse to get trapped into the buy now, pay later. Our credit society, credit-driven society is almost killing our economy, right? Next, set reasonable boundaries. Sometimes what happens is in life, when we, when we get to a point where everything seems to be out of control, and it's almost like we shut down, and all of a sudden we just, we just start setting boundaries, and we just kind of, you know, go the other direction. And when I say we set reasonable boundaries, what I'm saying is, is that there's times where we just have to learn how to say no, you know, and there are times we say yes, but we need to set those boundary, boundaries by when I go to the next point is that is to understand and honor our God-given priorities. Make sure we're setting our boundaries around our priorities that God has given us. Sometimes we just set boundaries and say no to things just because we're exhausted and we're tired and we don't think about, no, wait a minute, what's the priority here? And so we need to set reasonable boundaries, but we need to understand also what God has given to us in terms of our highest priorities. And usually it starts with him, obviously, as our highest priority, because he says, seek first what? His kingdom and his righteousness. But then we can think about, obviously, family. God has given us family and so on and so forth. As you honor those God-given priorities, your life just becomes a whole lot simpler. And finally, learn to delegate. You know, does anybody here feel like they are a control freak? If you're not, somebody would be glad to tell you. <laughs> You know, there are some people that just have this Messiah complex, and they're such doers, and they're so good, and they're so gifted that they have a tendency to do it all. And if they, they say, you know, there's this mindset that it's got to be done right, and, and if it's going to be done right, then I'm going to have to do it. I want to make sure that everything is going smoothly. It's all about, and it becomes all about us rather than about allowing somebody else the opportunity of having that responsibility. I go back to what Moses and Jethro had to do with. Remember when Moses is trying to judge a few million folks? I mean, how stupid is that? But he did. He tried. And then Jethro comes along, good old father-in-law, and says, hey, Mo, you got a problem. you got to fix this. you gotta, you got to train some guys and delegate and let some of this stuff go. And for some of us, that's really hard for us. We need to learn how to delegate and give people other responsibilities to take the load off of yourself. So those are some ideas that I want to share with you about changing your outward lifestyle. But remember, it's got to start with your inward reality. 
What's motivating you? What's driving you? What's moving you? What's, why, is it, why are you so busy? Why is life so complicated? What's going on in your life that's out of control? So in a few minutes, I'm going to ask you to really take that into very serious consideration in your life. And by doing that, I want to ask you some questions as I close. And that is this. What are the inward realities in your life that are keeping you from a simpler life? Is it your propensity to be a people pleaser? Is it you've been a performer all your life, trying to, to impress, trying to, to perform, and trying to be a doer and being unsatisfied with who you are, and so you're trying to pr- got something to prove all the time? Is that what's driving you? Is it the possession thing? You know, you didn't grow up with a whole lot and now you have more and, and it just seems like you always want to have a little bit more and a little bit more and we're never really satisfied until we have a little bit more. Is it, is it the popularity thing? Is it just being liked by people and so consequently you're, you're, you're this duplicitous person trying to be a chameleon emotionally to other people and, and trying to please everybody and you find out you're not pleasing anybody and you become almost hypocritical and, and not true to yourself? What's, what, what's driving you? Well, how has God wired you? Secondly, how difficult has it been for you to maintain your priorities? What's, what's going on in your life? Do you feel like things are out of control, like you're spinning a lot of plates and you're not really maintaining your priorities? And you really need to get back to the basics and saying, you know what, God, you need to come first in my life. You know, you've been put on the shelf for so long in my life because I've been so busy, so distracted, so involved in all these things that I forget about you. And it's time for me to just stop it and listen. This is a question that I wrestle with too. And, and what, what would be the difference between contentment and complacency? You know, because complacency is something different than contentment. And uh, so I just want to encourage you to find that contentment by finding that God-centeredness in your life. And then there's the last question that I threw out, threw out here, and you can wrestle with this in your small groups too, is how can you compare your lifestyle to Jesus's lifestyle? What were the principles that he modeled in terms of simplicity that would be realistic in our living in a culture that we live in today? So I challenge you to think about this. How many of us in this room want to have a simpler life? I think we all do, amen? God created us, remember, to be upright. We're the ones that have caused the clutter. Let's stop and pray for a minute. God, I feel like there are many of us in this room, including myself, that you're sitting, in essence, across the table And you're saying to us, stop it. Just stop it. So Lord, for those of us who are finding it difficult, that life is busy and complicated and complex, I pray, Lord, that's where we would start. That we just stop, just like Sophie at the end of the driveway, and listen. And to Just hear your voice because, God, you want to speak to us in that still, small voice. So please don't allow us to to have all the noise and the clutter of the world to keep from hearing what you have to say to us. Lord, I'm convinced that there's some folks in this room this morning that are even feeling like, you know what? God, you've touched a nerve in my heart. And I know that my life 
has gotten pretty complicated lately, pretty busy, maybe even a little out of control, too complex and too cluttered. And God, I need some wisdom. I need to know exactly where my heart is. I need to know what's motivating me. Because God, I I do. I, I want to be living a life that just has a greater level of simplicity. If that's the story of your life this morning, and you feel like God's speaking to you, can I encourage you to take a step? There were some folks first hour that just came forward and knelt before the Lord and said, God, my life has some things that are spinning out of control. I want to I stop it. I, I want to make, make a change. I want to simplify my life, and I want to start on the inside. If that's the desire of your heart, would you be willing to just come and kneel before the Lord here this morning? And join me down here in the front. And just give that to the Lord this morning. I have no clue what it is. But I sense that God might be speaking to some of you. And so I trust that you might do that. Father, I pray for the folks that are sitting here this morning. Lord, you've created us to be upright. You've created us to be men and women who are focused on you. That live a lifestyle that's pleasing to you. That's simpler from the inside out. And so, God, if you're speaking to somebody this morning, I pray they would have the courage, as we talked about, they would pray for courage to be able to stop whatever is creating a lot of the chaos and to give that over to you and begin a new lifestyle of setting healthy boundaries in their life. For I pray in Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to the audio from Cornerstone Church in Prescott, Arizona. For more information visit us online at www.prescottcornerstone.com.